Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 15 of Attitude Check, the business leadership podcast. Today we have James Garofalo as a guest. James is the founder and owner of Viewpoint Psychotherapy. And John Mark, I'm super excited to have James on today. I've had the pleasure of being able to sit down and chat with him a couple times now, just over coffee and lunch and that sort of thing. When I talked to him, I knew I wanted to have him on because he has such a wide background of experiences. I knew it'd be a great conversation. Before we jump into that, John Mark, tell me what's new with you. Yeah, so something I've been thinking about this week is the importance of self-care. How can you pour into other people if you're not pouring into yourself? Something that I see a lot in the habits of leaders is they'll take some time early in the morning. They'll have quiet time where they just read, spend time with themselves, or they'll exercise, just doing something to start out the day by taking care of themselves first and then going out and pouring into other people. And I really love that idea of self-care because in everyday life, we get caught up in the grind of being productive and trying to improve ourselves. And it's really easy to push self-care to the side. I think it's so important to just take whether any amount of time, whether that's 15 minutes, half an hour, one hour every day, to just do something for yourself, just to relax. You know, whether that's going for a walk or just meditating or exercising, there's a lot of things you can do. But John Mark, why don't you share one of the things that you do for self-care? Yeah, so usually I have a quiet time in the morning. Um, where I just read and journal. Another thing that I'm working on getting into is exercising. One thing that I like to do personally is just take a long walk. It's surprising and it at first, I thought it'd just be too time-consuming and I wouldn't get too much out of it, but it's nice to be able to just walk and think about things and, and take that time to relax. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode with James Garofalo. Endeavor to challenge yourself every single day. Engage with your community. Effect change and produce impact. I'm John Mark Radspinner. And I'm Brent Sabati. And this is the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. We have the conversations that young professionals should be having but aren't. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attitude Check. Today we have James Garofalo. James is the founder and owner of Viewpoint Psychotherapy. So James, before the podcast, I had the pleasure of talking to you a couple times, and from our conversations, I noticed that you are you know, quite the world traveler. You've been around to a lot of different countries, so can you tell the listeners, as our icebreaker question, what's the most interesting or unique thing you've seen abroad? Sure, sure. Well, I'll start by saying thanks so much for uh, the opportunity to be here with you guys. This is a cool podcast. I'm happy to be here. So the most interesting thing that I've encountered abroad, you know, it's hard to sort of group them all together, but I would say, you know, when I was in grad school, I spent a few months living and, and doing some research uh, in Uganda, in Uganda and Rwanda. And I, I think overall, the most interesting thing was really just the way of life, um, how they lived, where they lived. I think everything from the, the crazy traffic jams over there um, to just the families and their stories was, was just tremendously interesting for me. Um, so if I had to summarize any experience, it would be that one. Kind of extrapolating on that, is there like one particular thing that really stood out as a contrast to, you know, American or Western culture? Um, personally, for me, when I lived in Japan, the thing I noticed the, the biggest difference was that uh, Japan has a really collectivist society. So everyone is kind of looking out for everyone, um, you know, to the, you know, like 10th degree there. And it was really standing out to me. So is there something like that for you in Africa? So I think what jumps out to me is, you know, this was during 
my graduate work in sociology, I was kind of in the sociologist mindset at that time. And really it was just sort of the interactions and the behaviors between the, the, the folks and the the citizens of Uganda and, and, um, myself and my peers. Um, there was almost a, it was just a, a degree of respect and sort of admiration for us as students being over there um, that really kind of took me back. I wasn't sure how uh, we were going to be perceived going into it initially, but um, it was really with a lot of respect and, and admiration. That's something you wouldn't really think of because most people have, it's almost like a half respect, right, for people in college. Like, that's good. You should be doing that. But, oh, you're just kind of a student at this point. So sure. Um, it, it really shows the, the value of uh, education over there, yeah, which definitely. is just a great thing. So James, tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you're at. So I'm originally from Pennsylvania. Um, I enlisted in the Army right out of high school, served four years active duty, um, came out to to Fort Carson in 2007. Uh, I deployed to Iraq from 2008 to 2009. And when I was coming back from Iraq, um, our unit uh, had just kind of, by randomness, selected me to attend a, a two-day training course um, and working with soldiers who were struggling with different things like substance use and some family issues and things of that nature. And so uh, I always tell people I was very resistant at first, wasn't wasn't really into it. Um, and But once I got into that role, fell in love with it, um, you know, I knew there was a place for it in my future. So I got out. Out, did all my schooling, uh, went to work here in the community for a few years, uh, and I think that served as a good foundation towards the mental health and behavioral health community. From there, I, I started to encounter a lot of things that I also didn't like about the community, that not our community, but what I was seeing uh, in the mental health community. And so I wanted to do my part along with some of my colleagues who, who share the same passion to create a change in that field um, as, the, as best as we can. And so um, that's really what Viewpoint Psychotherapy is all about. Kind of touching on the current um, the current landscape, so to speak, of mental health and wellness and all that sort of thing. Are there any things that you see as a trend? You know, in this day and age, um, you know, you hear a lot of things in the news about you know the military side PTSD and on the civilian side, just depression and even just wellness and you know having a better mental mind mindset. Overall, is there something that you see as a trend outside of those? Sure. So I'll give you maybe a, a good and a bad. Um, as far as, as maybe some of the more unfortunate trends, um, you know, we do we are seeing a lot of concerns with young the younger generation, like the you know teens and um, and some behavioral health concerns in that department. But you know, to to provide an, a response in a more positive approach, really, I'd say. Um, you know, integration is really becoming a, a a stronger backbone to healthcare. I think, and so I think more and more primary care providers and doctors' offices are beginning to integrate behavioral health specialists on site and just really starting to work more um, more as a unit uh, in healthcare. That's I think been an awesome uh, trend that we're starting to see kick off. I don't think we're quite there yet, but um, I think it's something that's starting to pick up. So kind of backtracking here a little bit, just one of the off the cuff questions I had was psychotherapy. Growing up when I used to think about this type of service, you know, you'd either think of psychologist or therapist, but it seems like there's a mixture of two. Is there a specific reason why, um, you know, your business is named that or is that the actual correct term for the industry? Sure. So psychotherapy, um, I mean, it definitely is a fitting and correct term for what we do. Uh, I think nowadays you see a lot of different terms. You see things like coaching, you see things like counseling and really, yeah, I, I, unless you're in the field, I, it can be somewhat um, confusing. And so really psychotherapy implies that it's state regulated. I mean, it's, it's, 
you know, we, we operate under DORA, which is the Department of Regulatory Agencies, whereas opposed to like counseling, for example, um, that, that can mean a much wider range of services, you know, and, and really even professions. I mean, you can you can have counselors in a lot of different professions. Um, psychotherapy implies a lot of things like treatment plans and, um, and and oftentimes diagnostic assessments and things of that nature. So the lingo can be a little <laughs> a little tricky to navigate around if, if you're not um, in that industry. James, you went into the Army right after you graduated high school as opposed to going into college. So how did that help you figure out what you wanted to do with your life? Great question. I think that was a very, so that was a very pivotal time in my life. When I was in high school, really, by the time I graduated high school, I was so done with school. Like I wanted nothing to do with it. I never thought I was going to be going on to college. In fact, when I enlisted in the military, they, uh, when you go through the in-processing, they at that time, they were asking if, if you wanted to pay into the GI Bill, which is, of course, the thing, the program that funds college uh, education for veterans. And at that time, I was so set on never returning to college. I was like, nope, I don't want to do that. It was very minimal, but I was very sort of against that. But sure enough, uh, you know, during those four years, a lot changed through different experiences and things of that nature. Um, I really think I found a good footing for for what was to come. And so um, once I got out, I, I, I mean, I got out to go to school um, and it was with a much more sort of a higher level of commitment than than greatly higher level commitment than it was um, during during high school days. So then you went on to get your master's degree in sociology. Yep. Did you again just do that all at once? So you did your bachelor's and then your master's? I did, yep. Yep. I graduated uh, with my bachelor's in the spring of 2014. I started my master's in the fall of 2014. And, and uh, yeah, I, I selected sociology. I, I love diversity. I love culture. I love to travel. Um, and so it just seemed like a really good fit. Did you see yourself as being a business owner when you turned 18 and went into the world? No, no. It's funny. When I, my senior year of high school, we had this exercise where we had to, um, we had to like write down where we saw ourselves in five years and then 10 years and all this stuff. And they actually mailed it out five years after um, graduating. And it was completely different from how I had envisioned um, my life going. Um, and, 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 you know, I'd, I'd say for the, for the better. I mean, it's, I mean, things are going very well. And so, but it was very much different than, than what I had envisioned at that age. What made you want to transition in between doing, I guess, you know, more of like a clinician work or private practice work into having, you know, a scaled business? Because for those of you who don't know, you know, viewpoints, psychotherapy and James, you know, you're often used as kind of almost like an expert opinion in, um, you know, local issues on therapy and mental health and that sort of thing. So, you know, obviously your business is growing. What was the kind of stepping stones you took to get to where you're saying, hey, I, I want to build something that's going to grow, be scalable, not just be me and myself working. Sure. Sure. I think, you know, much like, you know, the, the reason reasoning behind a lot of startups, I think, um, was I started to spot a lot of things I didn't like about being um, in that field. You know, I started seeing things like sort of a quantity over quality in effort to turn profits and a very money driven industry. I, I felt like I was a part of it. Um, and so viewpoint psychotherapy, really, it's to create a space for clinicians to come in and, and provide outstanding services to their patients or to their clients um, without having the burden of some of the other stuff that you get in in um, in other environments. And what I mean by that is they get a private practice setting, which enables them to dictate their own schedule, which enables them to dictate their own caseload size. And really, those are things that are very important um, in this field because they're also the things that directly impact um, a clinician's performance with each client. And so really, the vision behind Viewpoints is to operate as a, as a network provider 
provider agency that functions like a private practice. And so um, if you ask me, we're a network of providers. Um, and so whether our clinicians are seeing 30 patients a week or three clients or patients a week, I mean, it's entirely up to them. Um, and those are the freedoms that you know are very important in this field. But if you were to ask them, they'd, they'd probably say that, you know, we're functioning like a private practice because because to them, that's, I mean, that's essentially what it is. And that's how it, and that's how it should be. I mean, that's kind of the vision. You know, I want, I want all the providers to come in to have those freedoms and to experience, um, you know, a place that they enjoy going to work and then have that rub off onto the patients. So what has been the biggest challenge, I guess, within your specific business, obviously, but overall in the, the grand scheme of, you know, businesses, um, what's been the biggest challenge in growing and scaling your business? Because I can't imagine it's been easy, especially since in your industry, you're governed by regulatory agencies and things like that. Sure. So, you know, if you have a young professional out there who's starting a business and they're trying to grow and scale it, you know, what kind of advice would you give? So, I mean, to answer your first question about um, obstacles and challenges, really in terms of industry specific challenges, it's the stigma around mental health. Of course, that's always an issue. Um, I think for, for, you know, across the board right now, I, I do think we're starting to come around. I think we're starting to see a diminishment in some of that stigma, which is awesome. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, maybe not where it needs to be totally yet. And to answer your second question about folks who wanted to start their own business, you know, I would say just remaining resilient, Re- resilient to a lot of different rejections, resilient to a lot of different challenges. I mean, that's a, that's a huge strength that I think empowers a lot of folks through um, the process. So I love that you mentioned resilience because resilience is something you don't hear about too often, surprisingly. When people think about personal development, they'll think a lot of things like, you know, just standard things like goal setting or, you know, trying new things, being open to opportunity. But, you know, one thing that's not, I guess, the the sexy part of starting a business or doing anything, uh, working towards anything is that kind of grind that you have to go through. You know, it's not going to be easy the whole time. Um, so can you speak on where you got this sense of resilience from? Was it something you learned through the military or was it something that you developed, you know, growing up? Where did it come from? Great question. So, you know, I think I think even above um, resilience, I think, you know, or I think you could probably group resilience into ambition. Um, and I think whenever anybody is ambition, ambitious um, and truly ambitious in the sense that that you know, even even despite obstacles and things of that nature that may you know come before them, they they tend to move through that. You know, I think those are things that people can learn. I think you just have to find the right inspiration, um, and I think what that essentially comes down to is finding what you're passionate about. Because if you if you truly find what you, you what you love and what you're passionate about, the ambitions there. And then the resilience, I think, follows very closely because, you know, as obstacles come up, sure, there are challenges and, you know, there's a lot of problem solving. But at the same time, you know, if you're, if you're loving that process and you're loving what you're doing, that carries tremendous weight and everything else just, at least for me, seems to have fallen into place. So I would say, you know, resiliency is, is very tightly connected to ambition. And then, of course, ambition is, is very connected to um, finding what you're truly passionate about. So how do you find what you're truly passionate about? Um, I would, you know, if I had to rec- make any recommendations, it would be to, for one, listen to your heart. I know that sounds kind of cliche, and I think there's even a song. <laughs> um, but really, I mean, I, I think if you, if you listen to your gut and, and kind of follow where that's leading you, I mean, I, I can't imagine you'd be led in the wrong direction. I think a lot of times we get sidetracked 
meeting the needs and, and kind of fulfilling the needs of others, expectations of us, um, whether it be parents, whether it be teachers, culture in general. And I think that that can create a sense of um, sidetracking, you know, on that journey. Uh, but I think if you do truly follow what you're passionate about and take, you know, a lot of risks along the way, you know, I, I think that's, I mean, it's it's going to lead you to a positive direction. Kind of tying back into, you know, the idea of passion and what you mentioned earlier and, and your history of, you know, joining the military first before moving into your professional field. You know, that's obviously one option for young professionals or people coming out of high school is to join the military to, you know, in a sense, see the world and try a few new things before jumping into school. But what would you say about people who kind of don't want to go straight into college and are still trying to find things out? Do you think traveling is a good idea or taking a break um, you know a lot of people have that fear of missing out you know if they don't start college right away then sure. they're going to miss something but what would you say towards that economically and and culturally we are starting to see a switch in regards to the call like i mean you look historically right it was so traditional that you graduate from high school you go to college you land a job and then you're, you're there for the next like 40 and 50 years but really a lot of there's a lot of research now indicating that's that's not necessarily the I mean, it's certainly the traditional path, but it's not necessarily the one that's holding as strong as, as it once did. And so, you know, I, I do think that, you know, that age when when somebody would be graduating from high school, that 18 to 22 range, you know, is a very valuable and an opportunistic time to make some self-discoveries. And, and I think that can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes for, for anybody. You mentioned travel. I think that, would, yeah, I think that's awesome. You know, there are, there is the military, of course. There is college. There is innovation and entrepreneurship. I think there's a lot of different avenues. You know, if I had to make any recommendations, it would be, again, to go back to what you truly believe is going to is going to be, you know, your passion area. Um, and if it's all those, if it's none of those, um, you know, I think that's going to be, you know, the best route to go. That is an interesting way to look at it because kind of the more, I guess, cookie cutter answer is, hey, if you don't want to go to college, take a break, right? And people wonder, what does take a break mean? And instead of having to be like, well, I don't want to go to, you know, to France on a backpacking trip for like a month or something, you can just think about maybe I like, I don't know, woodworking or something like that. And I'm going to take a couple months to just pursue that while I'm, you know, at home or right out of high school and yeah. just, just do that before you jump into it. So I, I think that's a great idea of just not necessarily saying you have to do this because it's what everyone else is doing for their self-discovery, but just being a little bit more introspective and finding out what that passion is for you. Yeah, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. And I think for, for both personal reasons and then also financial reasons too. I mean, it's hard to overlook the costs of an education right and so if you go into something that maybe you're not thrilled about that, that has, has the opportunity to create some problems down the road as well so i wanted to ask you a question it doesn't really gear towards the traditional young professional side but um, the military community is something that's near and dear to my heart you know i'm a military brat so i, I grew up around a lot of great people in the service you went into college after you came out of the military and for a lot of people coming out of the military that's not an easy transition you know, I've seen the non-traditional student who's, you know, a veteran. You can spot them out of a crowd, right? 5'11 gear, operator beard, USA hat or something like that. And, you know, was that a similar experience for you or did you have a, I guess, a slightly easier time because you knew what you wanted to do once you're out? I mean, I wouldn't by any means say I was, I totally knew what I wanted to do. I mean, I still juggled a, a lot of different possibilities out there. In fact, my undergrads in criminal justice, yeah, is not really a big part of what I'm doing right now by any means. But yeah, it definitely had its, 
its um, its challenges in regards to that transition. I think it, you know it's a very different world, but I think maintaining a sense of sort of just trying to be as pliable as possible in terms of your growth and interaction and welcoming new experiences rather than labeling them as either good or bad. I think that was essentially what I did, um, and, and it's certainly recommendable for, for folks making that transition. And really, there's an endless stream of resources in the community um, to help you know, transitioning vets do that. There's a lot of different good resources and a lot of different classes and a lot of opportunities out there. And so, you know, I would encourage anybody who, who might be struggling with that transition to seek out some of those opportunities um, because they, they can help and they certainly helped me as well. That's just great advice in general for anyone who's kind of in a transitionary period, whether that's yeah. a normal civilian or whether that's someone in the military or any other background, is to just be pliable and be open to, to new learning opportunities and just seeing where life takes you, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Transitioning into finding new opportunities, uh, something that John Mark and I like to talk about a lot is finding mentors or or in a different sense, you know, learning from other people, whether that's a mentor or a peer, you know, just the people around you. Did you have uh, any of that in your development, whether that's in the military or starting a business? When I think of a mentor, I think of of an influencer, right? And I, I don't think it necessarily, I think oftentimes when we hear that word mentor, I think it means, oh, one other person who's maybe serving as some sort of consulting role and kind of coaching you through the ropes, so to speak. But when I hear the word mentor, the thing that jumps out to me is like, okay, what, what were those influences, right? Or those influencers that were, um, that kind of, you know, laid the foundation for what I'm doing now and for growth along the way. And for me, I think things like travel kind of sounds silly to, to refer to as travel as a mentor, of course, but um, certainly something that has broadened different experiences and different ways of looking at things. And I think that, um, you know, is highly attributed to um, a lot of my decision making. And of course, yeah, I mean, in the military, there were some fantastic leaders. You know, I encountered some really great teachers throughout my education, um, and those interactions were very valuable as well. But, you know, I think Again, I think it's about identifying different influences that um, really come together and whether that be a person, whether it be um, a hobby, whether it be travel, whether it be art, I think all those things can kind of serve a, a similar capacity. Are there a few different uh, takeaways that you have from the different you know, cultures and countries that you visited? I think it's just, a, I would say, a general open-mindedness to understanding that people do things differently <laughs> across the world, you know? When I was teaching sociology, you know, I, I always used to encourage my students to really sort of you know, think outside of just what they've known demographically and, and just what they've known, you know, growing up and really take a, a look at how other places are doing things. And so I would say it's much more holistically ingrained in into who I am and what I do. James, after all your travels and kind of figuring stuff out, you now have your own business. So what have been some of the challenges that you face in starting your own business and also being a leader and continuing to watch it grow. So to address your first question, some of the challenges, you know, there's, there's the day-to-day -day challenges um, that I think every, anybody encounters, right? It, and, and some of them are industry specific. Some of them are much broader. You know, there's always little hurdles and day-to-day -day issues you have to overcome. Bigger picture and, and perhaps more intrinsically speaking, a, a big challenge I find is getting is getting people to believe um, in themselves. And, and I almost don't necessarily even mean just, just the clients that we work with, but you, the, the business partners and, um, and colleagues and things of that nature. 
is really just getting them to, to believe that, you know, you can, you can create something. I mean, you can really put something into place uh, that, you know, that didn't exist before. And it just takes that ambition that we talked about. And it takes uh, that passion, I think, is what it comes down to. And so, you know, as far as obstacles and challenges, I've, I've really loved, I mean, the whole the entire process, I, you know, every day. I feel like is, is a new opportunity to problem solve. Um, and it's, so it's sort of this endless, endless stream of, of growth and learning. And if, if, again, if you go back to that, maintaining a sense of pliable and sort of, um, malleable approach to what you do and, and understand that you might have to come to one wall and then readjust and go to another wall and then readjust, uh, then it's, I mean, the whole thing is, is very much enjoyable. So speaking a little bit more on the leadership side, you know, it, it can't be easy to be, you know, a leader of a business or just a leader in general. And I think you have an interesting perspective because you work in, your background is in sociology and you work in, you know, psychotherapy. What are some of the things that you've seen that makes a good leader or what are some challenges in the opposite light that you've seen um, that people face as being leaders? As far as leaders go, I think I think a lot of things can come into play. Certainly, there's a sense of selflessness. I think coming talk, when talking about leadership, and I guess I'm trying to frame a response to your question uh, more thinking military as well as civilian sector as well as well as business. And so I do think there's to some extent uh, a um, loyalty to the people that that work with you and the, the people that you know you work with. I do like that you brought up the differences between a military leadership style versus business world and then going more into kind of a, a personal relationship kind of leadership in the civilian or personal sector, however you want to call it. And I think that's a, a really great thing to think of because there are people from obviously different backgrounds, different experiences, and just being able to to one, be loyal to the people that you're working with. So it's not necessarily about the organization, it's about the people. And two, knowing that there's so many different leadership styles, it's it's really, that's the biggest thing is the challenge of finding which one is is kind of best suited for your situation. And, and I would say, you know, welcoming um, feedback, you know, really knowing that, you know, when you're in a leadership position, there's there's always opportunity to grow. I mean, you're never, and sometimes you, you do that from, from people and situations that you least expect. You know, I think being open-minded to continue learning and continuing to sort of own up to mistakes and make mistakes and take ownership of those of those errors, I think is an important part as well. James, what have been some of your biggest learning opportunities throughout life? You know, I think each, every every few years, it seems like there comes a, again, I use that word pivotal sort of moment in my life where it's, it's very transitional. And so I think there, there probably have been, if I had to count them, probably dozens of these sort of aha moments, right? Where, and, and I think nine times out of the out of 10, they come through experiences. For a while, it was it was the military. And then I got out and I pursued schooling. And that was that sort of transitional aha moment, I think, in my life. And then from there, it moved on to a little bit of travel here and there. And so, you know, to answer your question, those fantastic learning opportunities, I think essentially what it comes down to is being willing to um, embrace those changes. I mean, really, that, that for me... And even now with, you know, viewpoints, we're, we're very young practice and I think there's a lot of room to grow and certainly a lot to learn yet as well. You know, I think I think we're probably, I, I think in, if you were to ask me that question in five years, I'd tell you I'm at one of those 
those periods right now as well. Um, where to me, I think aha moment, I think not necessarily a, a split second moment, but maybe a, a period of in, in your life um, that you look back and say, oh, so that was a couple of years of sort of learning and growth that served as an aha time. And I think I think I'm within one right now. You know, I, I've been within them in the past as well. And speaking on being able to embrace those changes, a lot of people, for a good reason, fear change because it's one, it's new and scary. But two, you know, change isn't always a good thing. Sometimes it's a change for the worse. Sometimes it's a change for the better. So how do you how do you take all of those in stride? Sure, I. I always um, encourage myself and, and those I work with to see things as more process-based rather than destination-based. And so, if you make a decision and you come to you know a dead end, you come to a, a dead you know dead end wall or whatever the case may be, you can always readjust and make another decision. Maybe you come to a wall that was a really good outcome, and, or or maybe you come to one that was a very bad outcome. But knowing that you can always make another decision. Um, has been, you know, a very valuable tool, I think. So I really like the fact that you mentioned, um, you know, that kind of process versus uh, result or goal orientation, because nowadays you hear a lot of talk about, are you, they make it sound like being process oriented is a bad thing, basically. And people just tell you, have your eye on the prize, you know, what's that goal, that vision that's, you know, 50 miles away, sort of, so to speak. What's the most valuable thing about being process oriented to you? Or what does that mean to you, I guess? For me, I think that ties directly into the resiliency piece. Because if you love the process and you're enjoying the process, things are going to come up. Obstacles are going to come up. And so I think you can either see that as a, as a conclusion to what you did and then and then kind of spiral into thinking that you didn't succeed. Or you can see that as one more step that's taking you, serving as one more step, taking you to the ultimate goal. At the end of the day, you know, any steps forward are, are are part of that process and, and very positive things. So you see your process more as a, a fluid mindset rather than here are my list of steps that I have to do for you know each thing I want to accomplish? I mean, yes and no. I, I think it's inevitable that we would run across things that are going to throw us off course. And I say us meaning everybody, right? You know, So we can plan and plan, but then sometimes things don't go according to plan all the time. And so you know, if, if you're enjoying that process and you're and you understand that things don't go as planned, you can adjust accordingly. I think you know that, that serves to be a, a valuable tool as well. Transitioning into our bullet questions, recommend one resource that is helpful in everyday life. Exercise. Diet and exercise is always helpful. Um, it's a good sort of decompressor, at least for me. I would certainly recommend other people try it. Um, it's kind of my uh, my go-to. And what is one book that you recommend? One book that I recommend. Okay, so I tend to be fond of memoirs. So the first sort of memoir that jumps out to me is a book called Running with Scissors by Augustine Burroughs. Um, very sort of powerful at times, almost uh, darkly humorous, but a very powerful book about a man's struggle growing up in, in a very tumultuous environment and his sort of journey through recovery. James, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah. Thank uh, you so much. This was awesome. Share one parting piece of guidance, the best way to connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Sure. So uh, folks can find us on www.viewpointpsychotherapy.com. There's a there's a inquiry box that they can fill out. Um, you can read about our clinicians and what we do on there. You can also call 719-649-1902. Uh, and we also just relocated our current address is at uh, 5353 North Union Boulevard, Suite 201. Awesome. Well, James, thank you again for being here. This is John Mark. And this is Brent signing off. Thanks again for listening to episode 15. 
and we had such a great time having James on. One of the biggest takeaways I had uh, from our conversation with James, even though we didn't get to talk about it too much, was just the concept of different leadership styles. So for me personally, coming from a military family background, but now being in the business world, I, I got to see what he meant when he said that there are different leadership styles between you know, different areas of life. And that's something that I've been diving into more with personality assessments like the Myers-Briggs or the DISC assessment. And I really think one of the biggest things that's overlooked in leadership is your ability to adapt and give your message to different styles and different personalities of people. Be sure to like us on Facebook to stay up to date on all things Attitude Check and hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast hosting platform because let's face it, you know you want to. And thank you to all of our listeners that share the episodes on social media. Be sure to check us out and follow us on Instagram for the new types of content we'll be putting up and just to stay up to date with all of the behind the scenes production things that we're doing for the podcast and we'd love to hear any feedback you may have to help us create a better product for you so feel free to send us an email at attitudecheckpodcast at gmail.com thank you again for joining us on this episode of attitude check we'll catch you next time